want to share with you this morning one of my uh, favorite topics. I, every time I try and, and go and do something else and preach something else, I always come back to this same thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that is a really, really good thing to keep coming back to. Uh, Paul seems to do it a lot. Uh, the New Testament seems to be filled with it. So I think it's pretty, uh, pretty much the thing for us today as well. Uh, so before I get started, I just want to play you a clip. You may have seen it. It's called That's My King. So if we've got that ready to go and we can get that prep, let's check this out. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. That's my king, I tell you. And I tell you what, if we can 
get that message across to people's lives, can I tell you, this place would be filled this morning. If, that, if, if the people out in the cafes having a nice breakfast by the beach and, and you know, going down to do their thing on the Sunday, if we could get that message across into people's lives, their world would change and the church would be filled. But unfortunately, somehow, Christians and non-Christians alike struggle to get the fullness of that message, that God loves you, that God is for you. And uh, a late mentor of mine who ministered for, for many, many years would preach this message, that God loves you and God is not angry with you. And it gives me great uh, honor to be able to share that same thing with you this morning, um, which I just absolutely love. You know, it said up there, no means of measure can, defi- can define his limitless love. Imagine that. You can't d- define the limitless love that God has. No wonder that it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 13, and now these thing- three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If only people could get the idea that God is love, then people, you know, I think if we looked at the reasons why people aren't in church this morning, I think one of the greatest reasons would be that people think that God is going to judge them. Maybe his people will judge them. The walls will fall down. The walls will bleed. It'll cave in. You know, you hear all these terms that, oh, I can't go to church. It'll cave in. The walls will cave in if I walk in. So I will know, actually, that's, don't flatter yourself because God is love and he's bigger than that. Um, you know, if we get this message across... And, you know, I can slightly understand, although it's completely incorrect for an unbeliever to have that opinion uh, without hearing the fullness of the message. What grieves me the most is that Christians don't get the idea that God loves them, that God is not angry with them. And we think it's it's such a stock standard message, right? Yeah, I've heard that before. But the thing is, the way people live their lives shows me that it's not. That people have heard it, they know it, but they don't get it. The way that they come before God, the way that they uh, react when they make a mistake, the way they worship, the way they pray, it's the love of God that compels us. It's the love of God that compels us. If you get that, I tell you what, your world is transformed. And we say, we know, yeah, God loves us, yeah. No, 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 no. You know it, you've heard it, but do you get it? God's not angry with you. Yeah, I know that he loves me. No, no, no. But do you get that he's not angry with you? Do you understand that he's not angry with you? See, my mom's a teacher. I'm a teacher. That's one of the things I do. My sister's a teacher. I've got a family of teachers. And my mom's one of the greatest teachers uh, going around. I don't say that because she's my mom. It's just how it is. And I remember she, uh, I was at her, I was a student at the school that she was teaching at throughout my primary years. Okay, so everywhere. And Andrew was, Andrew, did she teach you, Andrew? She did. Um, She taught Andrew and he turned out okay. Uh, sort of, no, no, he did, he turned out well. Um, and so I would always see my mum in this role of teacher, right? And I remember one day I was sitting at home, can't remember how old I was, but I was pretty young, and I remember I was having like a little rumble with mum and, you know, we're having fun, mucking around, and it hit me, I'm like, ah, oh, this is fun. And I said something along the lines to her of, you're not scary. <laughs> like, you're, you're not scary, this is like, it's all good. And she never, like, she was just distraught when I, when I said that, because I had this view of her that was incorrect. I saw how she related to other people. I saw how she related to students 
But I didn't get that my relationship with her was different because I was her son. Right? And so it changes the whole way I perceive it. And the minute that I saw myself as her son, not just one of the crowd and not one of the others, it changed my whole world. When I realized the same thing about God, that I was actually his son, then that also changed my whole world. See, you can, um, instead of being a slave, you're a son and a daughter. I'll put that in there for the ladies. Instead of being a sinner, you're a saint. And too many Christians live as if they're sinners. Too many Christians live as if they're slaves, when in reality, they are sons of the Most High God, they're daughters of the Most High God, and they're saints who have been transformed by the power of God. I saw a young person yesterday that used to come to our youth group, and I know that this person had been off the rails a bit and and struggling there. And he came up to me, and I'm sure you could tell I was at the gym. Um, He came up to me and... What? What? I don't know. Um, uh, It's not working. (laughs) Oh, Richard, you're so cruel. Uh, No. Um, And this guy came up to me, and he started talking. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Usually you avoid me. But uh, started talking and saying of what's going on. And I just stopped after I said, said, tell me, what does God think of you right now? I love asking young people that question. I love asking people that question. What does God think of you right now? Not, what are you going and doing that for? What are you, come on, pull your, you know, pull your, pull your head in. So what does God think of you right now? Oh, what does God think of me right now? Well, he's probably pretty angry. It's like, really, what makes you say that? Oh, because I've been, you know, going and getting drinking and doing this, doing that. It's like, oh, really? Because I was with you the day that you gave your life to Jesus. And I was under the impression that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And that he's not actually too concerned about the struggles that you're having. Oh, yeah, yeah. And oh, well, he might not be angry with me, but he's probably not very happy. It's like, you don't get it. You don't get it that it's not based on what you do. You don't get it that it's not about your failings and your weaknesses and your sin. It's about the power of God. It's about Jesus Christ, who you are now in relationship with. We see ourselves the things that we do wrong. We see ourselves as having to serve this God, like the older brother in the prodigal son. The the, the brother says, God, I've slaved over you all these years. I've slaved over you. The father's like, you still don't get it. You don't need to slave over me. This is not a slave-master relationship. It's a son father relationship that we're talking about and nothing will stop someone from entering into the fullness of relationship with jesus than this than this belief that this god is you know yeah he loves me but i tell you what he's it's it's just scraping in you know i'm just scraping into his presence he's like oh if it wasn't for jesus i'd be messing you up right now but because of him you're lucky tell you what because i'm an angry man it's this, this concept that God is angry, that God is something different other than the, fa- the loving Father that he is to us. And for me, this is where I think I'm going to th- suggest this morning that this is where the problem lies. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, right? All have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. 
I'll give you the bad news before the good news. Everyone likes the bad news before the good news, right? The bad news is that very thing that I've just mentioned, that all have sinned and there is a punishment deserved for that sin. There's a punishment to serve for that sin. That's the bad news. And Romans 1.18 speaks of the wrath, if you're British, the wrath of God against wickedness. If you're American, the wrath of God. Okay, it's a pretty heavy word, isn't it? If you look at that scripture there, the the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of human beings. And, you know, before we even read the book, society gets into our head a description of what the main character's like. And before we even, you know, think even and even read anything about the love of God and the relationship that he has for us, people see God with lightning bolts on his belt who just fires them out and he's just waiting for any chance he can to smite the little creatures on earth. And although it may not be that extreme to us, in some sense, it is what we, we sense still. But this wrath of God, the TNIV study Bible says, uh, this, if we've got that on the screens as well, I think, uh, the next one, says this, it's not a, um, Phil, you'll be able to help me say that word, petulant, is that right? It's not a petulant, irrational burst of anger, such as humans often exhibit, but a holy, just revulsion against what is contrary to and opposes his holy nature and will. The wrath of God isn't like angry Mrs. Boyd or angry Mr. Ball. No, no, not you, uh, Mrs. Boyd. The angry Mr. Ball who, ah, oh, I just can't handle it when those little demon students, uh, you know, continue to talk when the teacher is talking and, you know, poke the person next to them with a pencil and disrupt the class. It's not what the wrath of God is. It's not a lack of patience and a rational burst of anger that says, I've had enough. It's this divine, divine response to that which opposes the pure beauty and holiness of who God is. That says, that God says, this is, there's, there's no darkness in him. He says, I can't say that that's all good. I can't tolerate that being, you know, in, in this situation. Um, you know, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed to man to die once and then face judgment. And I, I don't think God's going to take pleasure in that. I don't think God's there, you know, rubbing his fingers together going, can't send me another one so I can smite them, send them to eternal fire, you know. I don't think God is like that. In fact, I'm 100% sure he isn't. Um, you know, it's... God is love. God wishes that none should perish. There's that for the Calvinists. God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, um, you know, so that's about, the bad news is that, that there is this sense of God going, well, this stuff that is not in line with who I am doesn't really work, doesn't really work. But it's very different to the images that we have in our head. But, can everyone say but? You've had the bad news, now for the good news. The good news is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. The good news is that when you come before God, 
He's not gonna, you're not coming before him because of your behaviors. You're coming before him because of your beliefs. So when you stand before him, he's not gonna, he's either gonna say, who did you accept? He's not saying, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? He's saying, what did you believe in? What did you accept into your life? Jesus came and took the punishment for our sins, that we deserve that holy, divine punishment that is deserving of all who fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ came into the world and paid the price for that. Um, turn to John 3.16 to 18. We often stop at 16, but I think some of the best scriptures in the Bible are 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18. So if you've got that, it's going to come up on the screens um, if you don't have your Bible there. But you've got to get this point that God is not looking at what you do. He's looking at Christ in you. When God sees you, when you receive Jesus Christ, he's looking at you, he's looking at you through Jesus. The Bible says that we're in Christ, that we are in him. So the first port of call in God's sight is Christ. And then he sees us in him. So you say, oh, but, but Garth, surely when I sin... Surely when I sin, God's got to be angry. You just said that he can't, you know, tolerate these things that oppose him. No, he can't. But guess what? He doesn't see your sin. Jesus Christ took it for you and he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your works. He sees Jesus Christ's obedience, not your disobedience. He sees Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, not you doing the thing that you're trying not to, but you just keep finding yourself doing anyway and you're working at it and you still can't seem to avoid and get out of it. He's not seeing that. He's seeing you seeking him. He's seeing you believing in him, crying out to him. And he sees Jesus hanging on the cross for you. John three sixteen to 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, uh, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here we go. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. So often I think the thought is that Jesus came into the world to say, believe in me or I'm sending you to hell. Believe in me or it's all over you. This is the way you've got to choose me or hell. This is it. two options, take it or leave it. Um, that's just how it is. But Jesus came in the world, it says... you. St- we stand condemned already. It's not God sentencing us again, saying, you are condemned, this is you. We stand condemned already because of the fall of mankind, because of the Garden of Eden, because of sin in the world. Your natural entry point into this world is one of condemnation, is one of, you're stuffed. Okay, from birth, you are stuffed. God says, you are condemned already, but I sent my son into the world that you may be saved through him. Not condemned, not to bring condemnation. It's a way out. God's saying, you're already, it's already all bad for you. The news is bad, I'm sorry to say. But I've, bring to give, I've come to bring the good news, the gospel that says, here's a way out. Here's a way before your father that can actually, you know, it says there, he's the only, it's the only one that could, that could make the offering, the only one that is worthy, the only one that could have done what he did do. Um, one more thing, uh, Romans 3.25 says this, that, um, Romans 3.25. Sorry, guys. Romans 3.25. Are we there? Um, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that word there, let's try and spell it right. Propitiation. I've already made apologies for my handwriting. 
when my mum taught my class the other day, the student said, there was a, it was really good that your mum took the class because we could read your, her writing. It's like, thanks, guys. You're really helpful. But it says this. Um, this is the uh, appreciation is this. Satisfying. Um, of divine wrath or wrath um, by the offering of a sacrifice. So when it has that weird word, propitiation, that's what it means. It's saying, it speaks of our punishment that we deserved and, and this, this price that, uh, that needed to be paid. But it says that Christ is that for us. Christ took that punishment, took it so that we don't have to. Um, you know, like my mum's more, I'm speaking a lot about my mum this morning, that's okay, she's great. She's much more Christ-like than I. Um, I wouldn't argue that, my family wouldn't argue that, uh, not many people would argue that. When she took my class, there was three kids that decided to try and do the wrong thing just on purpose. I got angry. I was mad. I was like, they knew. They knew what they're doing right then. They did that on purpose because they knew that you were my mom and, you know, they thought they'd try and push it and that's what they do, these little ones. I said, that's it. I'm going in tomorrow. I've got them. Don't worry about that. I've got them covered. It's all good. She said, no, each kid needs to start each day afresh and, um, and don't bring up yesterday's things today. I'm like, oh, that's so biblical. That's... That's frustratingly biblical. I just wanted to smash the little... Don't I hope they're not listening. It's a public school. They're probably not. Let's, um, so God is much more like my mom that says, price is being paid. Don't do it again. I don't know why people beat themselves up when Jesus got beaten up for them. I just don't get it. Like, well, I do because I used to, but it's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of the truth in their lives, knowing that it's been done. Not just for the sins up until you receive Jesus, or the ones before that, but all the ones to come as well. And we, we stop it where we, where we got saved. Well, now we're unforgiven. Now I've got to do the right thing and be a Christian. No, no, it doesn't work like that. Check out these scriptures, and I'm actually nearly done. This is early day. Um, Psalm 35, uh, 30, verse 5. It says this, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. You want to know when that moment was? Have a guess. Anyone? Cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. The anger but for a moment. God, for one moment, unleashed the divine wrath that needed to be uh, given out to us to a sacrifice. That one moment was the cross. And then all that, la- all that remains for us is favor that lasts a lifetime. It's the only thing that's left is favor that lasts for a lifetime. We think, you know, oh, God might be angry for a moment when we sin. No, no, no. No, not anymore. It's done. It's, it's done. It's, that moment was at the cross. It's done. It's finished. Um, what about Romans 5, 9? It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God says it all. And possibly my favorite scripture, uh, full stop, is this, Psalm 103, verse 8 to 18. And uh, 
says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. I love that verse. He remembers how he created you, that you're dust. He doesn't have that a higher expectation of you. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't expect more than, you, than you're capable of. He knows how you're formed. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. And he doesn't expect anything different. All he expects us to do is walk through it with him and let him take us through it. Not pretend that it's all good and, and, and achieve perfection. Um, as for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. Missing the rest of the verse. There it is. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children, children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. His precept being, believe in me, follow my ways, walk in the light, let me love you, let me forgive you, let me pour out your, my mercy upon you. That's obeying the law of God now, loving your neighbor as yourself, which involves loving yourself. We could get a keyboard, um, that would be great. Why don't we stand up for a moment? As I finish up, I just want you to walk away with a sigh of relief. If that message you've got in your heart already, that's great. Good for you. I'm sure it stirred you up again. If it wasn't and you hadn't heard something like that before, I'm praying it'll change your world and that you'll walk out of here with the weight of the world off your shoulders, just going, it's all good. It's all good. Me and God, it's all good. I can come before him in worship. He's not thinking about my wrongs. I can pray to him and he's not judging me for the thing I did yesterday. I can just walk with him and he's not thinking about all the situations in my life that aren't really going to plan. That I know that he wants to be with me and he wants to get involved in my world. That he's for me. Can I tell you this, this morning that God doesn't tolerate you. God doesn't just tolerate you because he has to. He doesn't love you enough to get you into heaven he loves you so much that he wants to walk life with you on this earth heaps of people get it that God loves them to get into heaven but they don't get it that God loves them enough to forgive them of their sin on earth to bless them on earth, to walk with them on earth to hang out with them, to be pleased with them to be proud of them we've got to get it we've got to get it can't just know it. You've got to get it. Unfortunately, some of the people that need to hear this message won't be here this morning. <laughs> Thank God for podcasts and, and recordings. But let's just pray together. And, um, you know, let's just spend a few moments just saying, God, it's all good. I just come before you and it's all good. His love compels you. If you're not compelled, then you need more of his love. His love compels you into His presence. His love compels you to be with Him, compels you to walk with Him, compels you to get your life on track for God. So God, we thank You so much, Lord, 
that we can't do it on our own. Well, thank you that although there was bad news once, God, that all that is left is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that that very message will transform our lives. God, that that very message saves every part of who we are. Thank you, God, that we are destined for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus to enter into eternal life with you. But thank you so much, Lord, that you have, God, called us to live a life with you on earth as well. That you love us, that you're proud of us. God, that we are your sons and daughters. God, that we are your children. God, that we are saints. God, transformed by the blood of Jesus, being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. So God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. And God, we, we, we receive him afresh today. And with every eye closed right now, I just want to give the chance to anyone who is here maybe for the first time. I'm not sure um, if everyone in here has received Jesus Christ. But if you are here and you're saying, hey, I'm still sitting in the bad news. I'm still sitting in the bad news. Uh, I haven't yet received the good news of Jesus. Then I want to say a prayer with you right now this morning to change that. It takes one prayer. It takes one opportunity to say, God forgive me of my sins. I believe in your son, Jesus, that he walked the earth, died on a cross, rose again, that I may live with him. So if that's you, we're only going to do this for a few moments with every eye closed. If that's you, can I just get you to put your hand up, acknowledge me this morning, say, yeah, that's me, Garth. I, I, need, to, I need to do that. I need to, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to enter into to God's favor on my life. I need to enter into a relationship with God in my life. If that's anyone, put your hand up. Just show me that. Acknowledge that. Cool. The other thing that I want to do really quickly is this. If you're here and you need a fresh touch of God's love and you are there going, oh, I need that. I need to know I'm forgiven. I need to know that I'm accepted. I need to know that it's all good. I need to know that God is for me. I just want to give you the chance for the next few moments as we sing this for for a little while longer come out the front. Do you know what coming out the front symbolizes? Meeting with God. Coming up to the altar saying, God, here I am. My heart is sacrificed. My life is sacrificed. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you need a fresh touch from God of His love, a revelation of acceptance and of worth, then we're just going to sing that a little bit longer and uh, we're going to lift that up. Just come on out. Just come on out. Spend some time with God. And if, if that's not you, stand where you are and let's worship Him. Let His love compel us. Let's just spend three minutes here lifting him up, entering into his presence. It should be great. We can lift that up, great.